Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is the founder of Sport and Social Club, the largest sport and social club in North America. Since starting the business, they have welcomed more than 1.2 million participants and over 100,000 teams. She's built an epic culture with her team, and she's been an inspiration to me. So I am pumped to welcome the one and only Christy Harold to the show. Christy, welcome. Thanks, Jesse. I'm really happy to be here. You know, I always, my goal is always to try to be a hype person for someone, you know, when they go around. You know, I think everyone needs like entrance music and hype person. So <laughs> I'm literally fired up to have you. And I would love to be a hype person for you because I feel like you bring that to everyone that you interact with. Just from my, our times together, you bring energy. That's awesome. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get to know your starting story. I hear, you know, I've done some research. We have a little similar story into sports and then we've built a business around it. But how did you get started and build such an amazing business? Oh, good question. So let's see. I grew up as a competitive athlete. I was an alpine ski racer and I competed at a pretty high level internationally, spent more time on ski hills than I did in school growing up. And so then after high school, I quit ski racing at the end of high school. I had been injured and uh, decided I was time to get to university went to university for four years. Um, And I grew up in a small city north of Toronto, about four hours north of Toronto, went to university at Queen's University in Kingston, about two hours east of Toronto. And after that, I decided to move to the big city and see what I was going to do with myself. I'd grown up in a home where my father was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. We were sort of raised with just, it was dinner table conversation was all about running your own businesses. And so as a kid, I'd run my own lawn cutting business. I ran a painting franchise in university. I ran a custom clothing business in university. I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I really admired my dad. He was always home for dinner times. He was always there at breakfast. We went on great family vacations. We had a really nice lifestyle. He was always able to leave work and come to my volleyball game or come cheer me on flag football game or whatever. And, and so I was like, that's the lifestyle I want. I want to be able to be around for my kids, but also have this great lifestyle. We lived in a really lovely house, grew up on a lake, had nice vacations as a family. So I aspire to be like him. I also aspire to be be like my mom. She was a classic homemaker, just the total stereotypical. You'd come home and cookies were had been baked and she was knitting a sweater for somebody. And that's the kind of always a good home cooked meal. And so I wanted to, and she was always able to help out at my field trips. And as a kid, like I wanted to be that mom as well. So I knew I had to run my own business in order to have that kind of flexibility. And I took a business degree in university, but I didn't learn. I had a great time in university, but I didn't learn from my business degree. I did very poorly, frankly, if you look at my marks. But that's because I was running two real businesses during university. So when I moved to Toronto, I'm moving to this big city. I don't know a lot of people. And I thought it would be cool to try and meet some people. Maybe I should sign up for a sports league. And I looked into women's soccer and the only and I wasn't a great soccer player I played a little bit as a kid but all I could find were competitive women's soccer leagues and I thought I can't compete at that level and so I had heard about some sport and social clubs in the U.S. at that time I'd heard about one in San Diego there's a Golden Gate or San Francisco rather I'd heard about this Golden Gate sport and social club and I learned more about it and thought hey maybe that's something I could try in Toronto And so that was 1996. I left my job. I'd been working uh, full-time for College Pro Painters, where I'd been a franchise manager for three summers, and I'd now been a general manager for a year. I left my job there and started the Sport and Social Club. And it was really 
this is in the days well before internet was becoming a thing. You know, people didn't, I didn't have an email address when I started the organization. I remember getting an email address about four months into starting. And so I spent all my time going through my address book and calling everybody in my address book and saying, Hey, this is my idea. Do you like the idea? Yeah. If you like the idea, do you know anyone else who might like the idea? Can you fax me your address book? And then I would go through people. My friends were faxing me their address books and I would go through and call all those people. I had complete strangers faxing me their address books because they loved what I was planning to try and build. So I started from that. So you were calling people and then mailing things to them? Like how how did it start? I spent four months on the phone calling people, telling them the idea and also finding permits to play leagues and to get, be able to have a spot for people to play and putting the plans in place. And about a week before I was meant to begin, I had 13 teams signed up to play and across, I think it was five different sports. It was uh, basketball, volleyball, ultimate Frisbee, flag football, and soccer. And I had 13 teams signed up at $350 a piece for revenue. And if you do the math, that's one season, four seasons a year. I wasn't going to survive. Like that was just revenue. That doesn't, you know, forget costs. Like I was not going to survive. So I basically fell down on the floor and cried. I remember this so clearly. I cried for about two hours thinking, what have I done? Why did I quit my job to start this? What a stupid idea this was. And then after crying for two hours, I thought crying is not changing the situation. So I got up off the floor and I got back on the phone and I called people and said, you said you were interested. It's time. You have to sign up now because the leagues are starting. So I need you to sign up. And so in that five day period before the leagues were about to begin, I went from 13 teams to 52 teams for my very first season. So we were able to make a go of it. And to answer your earlier question, yeah, I started with phone calls to get their addresses if they were interested. And then I created a newsletter, mailed the newsletter out. I had 800 newsletters to mail, but I could only afford stamps for 400. My boyfriend at the time, who later became my husband and business partner, and now he's still my business partner, but he's my ex-husband, still a good friend. At the time, he was a semi-pro cyclist, so he agreed to drop off the other 400 newsletters that I couldn't afford stamps for (laughs) by bicycle. So that's the early days, and people would mail or fax me their registration form with a check. That's how it was done in the early days. I love this so much because it's the grassroots marketing that you don't see done much anymore. And I I remember I saw an article that came out my first year as GM of a team in Gastonia, North Carolina, 23 years old. And the article said, my goal was to talk to every single business owner in the entire community. I'm going to do it the month of November and December. And that was my goal. I was going to find a way to get in touch with them to tell them what we were doing. Now, fast forward 20 plus years later. What are those, some of those grassroots things that you guys are still doing? Because those phone calls, those reaching out, those newsletters, I think like that's missing these days. We're not having that actual personal connection now that we've gone social. How you started your company. I want to get into the design and culture, but how have you built that design yourself still into the culture today? I have to be honest, it's been a bit challenging. I find that some of the, my younger team who work with me, are they didn't grow up picking up the phone. Mm. And so to try and encourage them to pick up the phone can be really challenging. They're just more tempted. They just want to send an email. It's just, that's what they know. That's their comfort. And so it's been hard. There've been many of my team who've been with me for a long time will, la- will tell you it's a bit of a joke when I'm like, pick up the phone. You know, cause I, I really, especially when, if you get a customer who's not happy, you get an email. I am adamant. You do not respond to really angry emails by email. Mm. People misinterpret text so quickly. Like it's just so easy to 
be misunderstood and maybe you're misunderstanding them. And so it's just, I want them showing some empathy. So they, our customer service team is very good about, they address irate customers or any kind of real big problem issues. They'll, they'll do their best to pick up the phone and talk to someone and be empathetic and hear the concerns and then try and help find a better way for them through listening and meeting the needs that way. But those early days, I think it was around 97, Rawl, who Rawl started working with me one year into me starting the club, he said, we really need a website. And I was like, a website? What's that going to do for us? Like, well, that's not generating revenue. If you want to build a website, you've got to do that in your spare time. So thank goodness Rawl worked his butt off all day. And then at night, he'd stay up and putter away creating a website for us. I mean, now our entire business is run off of a website. We have our own mm. proprietary platform that all the registration, the scheduling, the standings, all of our back-end administration, we, we manage everything through our website. So thank goodness he had the wherewithal to think about that. Yeah, yeah you have to evolve. But you know, I, you, I think you're right on the personal connection. I've noticed a huge change. After everyone that buys a ticket from us or buys merchandise, we do a thank you call. And these are all our people that do it 22, 23 years old. And yes, four or five years ago, we probably had a 50% answer rate. Now it's maybe 10%, but we leave voicemails. And when they get people, it's like, it's excitement. Like, hey, we just wanted to thank you. It's part of our culture. Everyone on our staff makes that thank you call because we have to get that idea of personal connection. You're not just behind a computer. But still, yeah. Christy, I, I want to get into your office, but I, I could see you putting an old fax machine in your office and just saying like, you know, this is where it started. Have we got any faxes today, guys? Have yeah, we yeah. Uh, we actually do. We do have a fax machine. But, but to your point on the thank yous, um, yeah. I was raised in a culture of handwritten thank you notes. That's how I, our family was raised. Every Christmas, yeah. my brothers and I got a package of thank you notes in our stockings. And we were expected that you write your thank you notes to your grandparents and your aunts and uncles for your Christmas presents. And you write thank you notes for birthday presents. And so my kids will tell you, they get thank you notes in their stockings and it's non-negotiable. They must write thank you notes for their gifts and they've gotten quite good at it. So a couple of years ago, we were coming home from our, our full-time team offsite retreat one time and I was, we were on a big bus. There were, I don't know, probably 40 or 45 of us. And I, I was in my head thinking to myself, imagine if everyone on this bus wrote a thank you note once a week, mm -hmm. that would be like 2000 thank you notes a year that could be written and to our members, to our suppliers, to our caretakers at schools, to our sponsors, to anybody. So we started the Guru of Gratitude program. And that started last year. And we have these thank you notes that I thought I had some right here to show you. Oh, yeah, here's some. They just say keep playing on them. And it's just a blank note on the back. And we have a, an, a list that's a shared document that if at any time anyone can write a thank you note, if they don't know who to write one to, there's a list of ideas, like a new, a whole list of all the new captains or any new individuals who've joined or uh, long-term captains who've been playing with us for years. There's so many people we can always be saying thank you to. And so we take a moment to write these handwritten thank you notes just to try and sh because people aren't used to getting mm. handwritten notes anymore. When you get mail these days, it's junk mail or it's a bill and no one writes handwritten thank you notes. So I just wanted to make a little bit of an impact that way. And there's been some really beautiful side effects in that I wasn't expecting this, but now people take a picture of their handwritten thank you note and they post it on social media and say, Hey, sport and social club got your thank you note. It's like, Oh wow, that worked out well. That's not why we're doing it. But I also have told, taught my team when you give gratitude, it makes you feel better as well. It makes you feel good. It's like on Christmas morning, would you rather give a gift or 
or open a gift. Personally, I get more excited watching people I'm giving gifts to. So giving a thank you note to someone is really a great feeling for yourself. Being able to share gratitude is such a powerful. Mm. I love how you interjected with your team. I mean, you're speaking my language, Chris. I started doing this at the thank you experiment in 2016, as the listeners know. And every day I, I get custom thousand yellow thank you notes. And every morning, that's the first thing I do in my day. And so you have to have a lens of who am I thanking the night before or when I wake up, who am I thanking? And so our team has interjected that. Our vice president does one fan a day, whether it's a video or some way to thank one fan a day. And I just, very few companies put the focus on that because they think like, oh, we got to keep selling. No, share the gratitude. And yeah. I love that. And, but it goes into your whole design. I mean, back in 1996, 97, you were starting without any really idea of what you were doing, like most of us start. And yeah. then you started intentionally working on this playful, you said, keep playing this playful, fun, vibrant culture that you built. And I saw a video of The Office and was blown away. And I'd love to just go into kind of maybe the story of how you started building the culture into some of the things in The Office. I mean, from the love wall, the jerseys, there's so many things I'd love to talk about, but maybe kind of take us through how that evolved. Wow. I mean, early days, the, our office and our very first office was in our two-bedroom apartment that Raul and I shared. One room was an office and we had this little alcove in, in our bedroom that was the other office. Our storage was off of the kitchen. You know, we had floor hockey nets behind a curtain and floor hockey sticks stored behind this curtain in the kitchen. And then we bought our first home, I think in probably 98 or maybe 99. And that became our office. I, I remember we actually were running two businesses out of there, that house. It was a small semi-detached three-bedroom house and two of the bedrooms were offices and we built offices in our basement for our employees so we worked out of there for a number of years, and then, then we went to a small office space above a cigar store. We used to stamp our feet on the floor because they'd start smoking cigars, and they'd forget to turn on the fans, and we'd get the <laughs> cigar coming through. Uh, so we were there for, I don't know, probably five years, and we really we just outgrew that. And then we moved to this industrial space, and we, and we were there for about 12 years, and it was this you know 15-foot-high ceilings with these seven-foot-high windows up at the top, and it was this old industrial warehouse space. And it was great. And it had a good office vibe. We built a kitchen in because I had started the culture in the early days. We used to make lunch for each other when there were only a couple of us. It was like, okay, I'll make lunch all this week. And then you make lunch all next week. And we started doing that until we got to about 10 people. Where So you would make lunch for a whole week for 10 people. And then you'd have nine weeks where you didn't think about it. And you'd be working at your desk. And at 1230, you'd hear lunch is ready. And everyone would get up. It's like a family getting up and going to the wow. dinner table. We would all eat lunch together. So it was really important to me that we had a kitchen in that old office space. And, and in our new office space, where we've now been for three years, we have a great kitchen set up as well. We don't make lunch for each other anymore because there are almost close to 50 of us now, it seems. But we still take lunch time together. Everyone we encourage people do not eat lunch at your desk. That's the culture is go sit, go out for lunch if you want, but go buy lunch or warm up your leftovers from dinner last night in the micros, but sit and eat as a team and get to know your teammates and the bonding that happens from that. It's, it's the number one thing my team will tell you is their favorite thing about our culture is that we all tend to eat lunch together and they become friends. It's pretty awesome. And it started, and how many people do you have from that original team that actually was, I used to make lunch for everybody, you know, how many people are still apart? There are probably, from the lunch making days, there's probably about six or seven who Amazing. remember those days. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. So, I mean, that original thing from the days, making lunch together, built this community that we're together in this. And then it sounds like in this new place that you went to, designing that 
all over became a huge element of who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, that was part of my vision. I did a vision for the end of 2019. So that vision just completed. I've just launched our vision for 2022. And part of that vision was to have a collaborative, fun working space. We, I knew we needed to move because we were outgrowing our space that we had been in for 12 years. And so I put a lot of time and energy into the design and the functionality of the space and just to get the right vibe. I wanted it to have a sporty feel. And I, I've done a number of builds. I've built a number of homes over the years and done some renovations. And I'd worked with a designer I really liked. We've probably done six or seven projects together over the years. So she worked with me very closely on creating the office space. And like the bright red wall in some of the offices, when she suggested that, I was like, really? I wouldn't have thought that. But then I went with it and I'm so happy. Like not my whole office isn't red. There's just one wall in my office that's red. And there are a few offices that have this red wall. And then there are three of the meeting rooms that all are her suggestion to put green astroturf down and we would paint the lines on in the room so in our boardroom the big room it's called the end zone it's a big football field painted on the floor and in the the meeting room called the dugout there's a baseball diamond painted on the floor in the, a smaller meeting room it's called the pitch and there's a soccer field painted on the line and so it just gives a really great vibe of fun and then on the flooring in the main office area is kind of this wood flooring that we put down like red lines to make it look like a basketball court and there's a floor hockey circle. So you just, it gives a really fun sporty vibe. It just speaks to what we do very, very evidently. And then we, we as you saw in the video, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time thinking through other details. It, we've always done the veterans Jersey has been something we've done as part of our culture for years to celebrate people when they've been with our team for a year, we give them, we sit, officially draft them to the team and we give them their Jersey And their jersey has the Sport and Social Club logo on the front, and it's a big hockey jersey. And on the back is their number, and the number is the year that they started. So my number, I'm a 96. My business partner, Rawl, is a 97, and our other business partner, Rob, is a 99. We're the only 90s, and then everyone else uh, starts in the the 2000s. But Talk about that, the jersey presentation. I'd love to hear, like, how does that happen on the year anniversary? I think it's such a cool touch. The jersey presentation, and then do they wear them? I saw them, they were on their chairs. How does that evolve? Yeah, so in our old office, we, because we had such high ceilings, we had all the jerseys hanging in the rafters. Okay. And our new office, our ceilings weren't high enough to do that. So then it became, the idea is it's either your jersey either hangs outside of your office if you have a closed office, or if you're in the main area, we put them on the back of your chair. And we use them actually quite regularly whenever, like this morning, we had a high five welcome. Whenever we welcome new teammates to our team, um, we've had about seven new interns start in this this week. And so we've had a couple high five welcome ceremonies. So when they come in, our whole team gathers and all the vets put their jerseys on. If you're not a vet, if you're a first year teammate, you have your red sport and social club hoodie. So we're all in red and we make this tunnel and people walk in and everyone gets, they get a big high five as they walk in. So the jerseys get worn a lot for those types of things, but they typically just sit on the back of their chair. And so when you walk in, you can quickly see who the veterans are and who the rookies are. And if you don't have a jersey on your chair, you're a rookie. So it's just a, it's a very, it's not a super time consuming ceremony or anything when we do it. It's just like we do a huddle once a week, Thursday huddle at one fifteen, And that's when at the end of huddle, if there are any, one year anniversaries, we would present the Jersey presentation. And I, in fact, I have to do one today, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, that's awesome. What about part-time staff? 
we were talking about this back at MMT, the challenges a lot of times we have with, with part-time staff getting into this culture. I want to go back to the main stuff, but how do part-time staff, do you have rewards and different things like this that they get to be a part of? Or is there a certain shirt they get? Like, I love this. Like you get your starter jacket or you go from your, to your black belt. Like that, that is an awesome ceremonial celebration. Yes. What about for part-time staff? That's a great question. I'm going to be honest with you. Our part-time staff is a part-time team. I always refer to them as our team because again, the sporting analogy. And so we call our full-time team or so the pro team and our part-time team is a semi-pro team. And so our, our part-time team is the biggest opportunity I believe we have right now to make an impact on our uh, customer experience. It's the, for the last three years, we've been really focused on getting ready to scale and grow. Now, the next three years, our big opportunity is working with our part-time team to get them clear on our purpose and our vision and be able to be really engaged with our members because I think some are doing it really well and I think some maybe aren't and that's okay. It's not their fault. It's we've never, we haven't taken the time to, to sort of really encourage that. And so this is, you know, I was reading uh, Howard Schultz's book Onward. I don't know if you've read that yes. great book. It really inspired me. I read it about six months ago. And so that became, if you see my vision for 2022, you'll see a big part of the focus is going to be on how we engage with our part-time teammates so that they better engage as our league ambassadors. Cause they're the ones who our members see every night. It's not me. Mm. Our members don't know who I am. And actually that's part of the problem. Our part-time team don't know who I am. It's okay. I see it as a very exciting opportunity to make our business even better. And I was talking with Michelle Falcon and he gave me the idea. He's like, you should be doing a once a week, very quick one or two minute CEO video to the part-time team. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great. So we're going to start to implement something along those lines, just a little, Hey, yeah. this week, try and remember to focus on da, 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 or just to give you guys a quick update. This is the exciting things that are happening. Cause we want them to be bought into the fact that we're trying to get a million people playing and they play the biggest part in that. We actually invited them to, we did a, our first ever, um, we call it the sport and social group combine in mm-hmm. December, early December. And instead of just a full-time team offsite, we invited about, I think we had about 60 or 70 of our part-time employees there as well. Not for the full day. They came just for the evening and we had all these fun games and stuff. And, and I did a big presentation. I did about a half hour presentation to them, to the whole, to everybody and shared the vision video. And I had probably 10 part-time teammates come up to me afterwards and introduce themselves and tell me how inspired they were and tell me that they cried and because I wanted them to hear the stories of our members. I shared a few of our different member stories about my friend Colin McDougall, who married, met, married Martha and now has three teenagers because they met playing a volleyball against each other and went back to the bar together with their teams and fell in love. And then the story of, of our member Mary, who lives in Michigan, who got our logo tattooed on her body. She has MS but she still plays in our leagues. And as she said, the reason she got the logo tattooed is because these leagues have changed her life on days where her MS is so flared up that she has to be in a wheelchair or using a a cane. She can still go to the games and cheer on her friends and have a social interaction, even if she can't play. And so it's been this life changing experience for her. And you know, this, I told them the story of the email I got about four years ago from a young woman who shared that she had come to Toronto, didn't know anyone, was lonely, feeling really depressed, and thankfully found out about our leagues and, and ended up joining our leagues through a colleague, a coworker. And she said at the end of her email, your leagues have saved my life. Mm-hmm. And so these are the stories that I want our part-time team to hear and to 
because the impact, the touch points they have are so incredibly powerful and they don't maybe don't even realize it. And that's what I see as the biggest opportunity. I love um, it. To do a better job engaging with our part-time team. We did actually recognize any part-time team who'd been with us for five years plus. We did give them a very special sweater this year that has their name embroidered on the sleeve the year they started. And it says vet on So it's like a part-time vet's jersey. We wouldn't do that probably just for one year because it is such a seasonal for many people, it's a very seasonal opportunity. But for those that do see the long-term opportunity with us, we definitely want them to become, feel like vets on the team. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. We're such a similar, so we're making some of those adjustments too. So we're actually onboarding. We're bringing them into our stadium club and we're showing the banana story video of the stories from our fans. And we're sure that's part of now the onboarding You see that. And we just recorded myself and Emily talking about how it all started. And it finished with a challenge for about creating these fans' first moments, these stories. That's their challenge for the summer, is to create one story that, that someone will never forget. And so we're building that into a video culture now where we can't be there, but at least you can share those with them. Yeah, I love that. I got, I'm going to make a note of that. The idea of challenging, if you can get one story a season would be amazing. From every, If every part-time teammate could get one story, that would be amazing. Yes, and we, I learned a lot of that from Darren Ross, the CEO of Magic Castle Hotel. He said, incentivize stories over sales. And so he would actually give away a cruise trip for the best story, the most amazing story every year. And he started having these incentives. And I'm like, you know, stories is what makes a company. It's what makes a brand. Everyone can do sales. Everyone has core values, but you have stories that back up those core values. And just sharing those few stories right there, I can tell why your team gets emotional because it's amazing. But sharing also your personal story. How many people know the hustle you went through in 1996, 97 to just make this company exist so they even have a job and are making an impact on it? Yeah, well, that's actually, and that that was exactly what the presentation was as well, was I did share a lot of the stuff I shared with you earlier, those mm-hmm. funny stories of the grinding it out. And I actually, in my presentation, there's a picture of a fax machine, which most of the people in the audience don't even know what a fax machine looks like. <laughs> but I did share that, the whole hustle aspect of the fact that I, the job that those part-time teammates are doing now, I did that job for three or four years, five nights a week. I was out there doing it by myself setting up the volleyball nets and talking to the members and making sure they were coming back to the bar for a drink and having fun. And how could we get, make things better for them? And I love it. I love it. I want to go into uh, the, can you imagine wall, Christy? Because I think that's something we've known about. I've talked to Brian, I've talked to Cameron, I've talked to all of them, but we haven't pulled the trigger yet. And I don't know why. And I want to tell, because I feel like getting the buy-in from everyone. Can you just explain the, can you imagine wall and how you've got buy-in from everyone, how it's a part of your office that you've designed? Yeah, for sure. So the Can You Imagine Wall, yeah, I was totally inspired by Brian Scudamore and my brother Cameron Harold from when they were building the early days of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I just absolutely copied that idea. And so it's a wall in our office that just allows, it's open for anyone to put up a dream uh, for something they'd love to see happen at the Sport and Social Club. And The idea is anyone can do it as long as you're prepared to put your name beside it. And hopefully it will inspire people to feel engaged and inspired to make positive change here. And not everyone has something up there. It's not, it's totally optional. We're not uptight about like that's sort of this kind of dream wall where if you want to make it happen, make it happen. Like you've put your name there, so go make it happen. But no one's hounding you to follow up. Like that's not the day-to-day kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how did it start? Like, 
how did you introduce it? I want to know from the starting point, because it's such a great concept to have people dreaming about what can come. And, you know, I've heard what Brian and they've said about being on, what was it, Ellen and Oprah, Oprah and all yeah. these big things. How did yours start? How did you introduce it? And what happened? We had it at our old office. I don't know. We've had it for a long time. Gosh, I would imagine I probably just told my team about it that I wanted to, first of all, I think it looks cool. It's a fun vibe for the office. I think I just told the team about what this other great business was doing and, and that I felt like it could be really inspirational and, and people loved the idea. And, and what's fun about it is when someone does accomplish one of the Can You Imagine goals, we have these done stickers printed. So they, there's a bit of a celebration around, let's get your done sticker put up and you get this big done sticker and it looks fun. You've accomplished this a dream towards making the sport and social club a better place, a better organization. And it's just a total free for all ability opportunity. We do check in with it about once every four months. Yes. At our, when we do season finals, we just do an update. And then I also say, Hey, just a reminder, it's there for anyone. If you want to put something up there, run it past me and let's get it up. So, so what are some examples of some that have been really inspirational that either happened that you guys had celebrations over? What were some that stand out? One that's been there for a long time, my daughter actually, when she was eight, put one up. She wants to have a sport and social club pub. So, <laughs> As an eight-year-old, she suggested yeah, that? She's like, you guys need to have a pub. I was like, that's a good idea, Andy. So I said, you can put it up, but you have to make it happen. So she's only 17 now, so she still has some time. But I would love to see that one happen. Anyway, the, some of the ones, I mean, I remember putting up, I remember putting up to achieve two were pretty big. One was to, to be operating in the U.S., to do a, have a U.S. partnership or acquisition. And we accomplished that last year, which was, that was a pretty big deal for us because we've been in Canada for 23 years. And, and so to now have a footprint in the U.S. with an amazing partner in Michigan, who I love working with. He's such a fabulous guy. He has a Can You Imagine wall in his office now too, down in Michigan, which is exciting. Another one that was amazing, we've always had a charity partner and we've always just donated money to our charity partner. And it didn't feel like, I mean, it's one thing to donate a certain amount of like money to something. It feels good. but I feel like we have these hundreds of thousands of people playing sports and I always wanted to see, couldn't we engage our members to do more than just donate money? Like maybe we could get them giving back of their time as well and making a bigger impact in, for our society. And so one of mine was to create our own charitable foundation. And we just launched that. That's been on the wall for probably, I don't know, five, six years. And wow. we've just finally launched it. It's called Keep Playing Kids. And effectively, 1% of our revenues will go, will fund Keep Playing Kids. We've hired a manager who she will get kids in all the cities where we're operating adult leagues. We will find children who are underserved, who can't afford to play sports, and they will have free sports programming provided to them. Probably we'll start with soccer, basketball, ultimate frisbee. Those will likely be the start sports we start with. And we'll ideally get our members who are playing in our adult leagues to volunteer as coaches to coach one day a week these kids, these younger kids who couldn't afford programming otherwise. And if they volunteer, we'll give them a free season of playing adult leagues. So it's going to be hopefully a real win-win-win get members giving back of their time, get kids playing for free because there's an obesity epidemic. There's a kids are dropping out of sports and there are children who just can't afford to play. And we want to, we don't want that to be a reason why every kid should be able to have the opportunity to play some sports, I believe. So yeah. So we're, so keep playing kids has just happened. And that's all because I put it on the can you imagine wall years ago and it's been staring me in the face for ages. And now I can put the done sticker up. 
Well, so. you know, it's, that's such a powerful book. Write it down, make it happen. And I don't know if yeah. you've heard that book, but yeah, I mean, that's what's happening. I'm hearing a bunch of themes, and I, I want to get some games, but you got me thinking here. You keep hearing, saying, keep playing, keep playing. Play seems like it's such a big part. I think every organization is, oh, we want to have fun. We want to make it fun in our office. We want to make it fun in our culture. You keep saying playing. Are there examples on how, like, play? I think I've re- heard you say something about play days before and some different things. Tell me about how play and fun is interjected into your office. Yeah, I mean, I think in the early days, people thought all we did was play beach volleyball in our office. And it's like, no, actually, we do work, but we do have a lot of fun things that go on in the office. We have the ping pong table that gets used a lot. We have a video game, an old style video game console that, you know, gets used. But people, my team work really hard to make sure that other people's play is happening and gets, is a great experience. We do have something that we call go play days. I really believe that everybody on our team will do better and be more productive if they have the right amount of time for relaxation and to shut down. I really feel like we can all burn out a little bit and it's important to get vacation time. So our team, actually in your first year, you get four weeks vacation. That's the law in Canada is two weeks. We give four weeks in your first year and then five weeks after that. And in addition to that, we have go play days. So from the May long weekend until the September Labor Day long weekend, that whole summer period, every Friday afternoon, you can take a go play day. And all you need to do is book in advance with your team leader that you plan to take a go play day. And that means that Friday at lunchtime, you're going to head out and you might, because cottage country in Toronto area is, it's a good hour and a half, two hours from Toronto. And if you can beat the traffic and get up there a little earlier on Friday, or you just want to have whatever, you want to get somewhere on the weekend to enjoy a summer weekend, the weather up here is so cold for much of the year that we really want our team to get to enjoy those beautiful times of year in the outdoors. And so we want them to go play, go have fun outside. And so they book it a week in advance. And then they, all that's expected of them is that during the week, make up that time. So come in at eight o'clock, Monday to Thursday to make up for the fact that you're leaving early Friday or stay an hour later. It's pretty much it's just a trust and honor system. Yeah. And, and we also just always make sure not everyone can be out of the office. We need to have the phones getting answered and emails getting answered. So every team, you know, there's the ops team and the customer service team, and there's the dev team and the finance team, and marketing team. Everyone has to have their bases covered. So they just, everybody manages it amongst themselves. I have never, ever had an issue with having to get involved with Go Play Days. Everyone respects it, um, it, takes advantage of them, uses them, but makes sure that their teamwork is getting done. You know, it's so obvious that you're putting your people first and you're living it. You've designed your office that way. You said with the Go Play Days, um, recognition, I love the jerseys. Are there any other recognition things that you've done that you've learned from that have been really good programs that any company could implement that's worked well? Recognition. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about core values earlier. I think core values is where it all starts from. Having a vision and having values are the most important things. But just having values and sticking them up on the wall isn't enough. And we do, we literally have our core values written on the wall, actually in two places, one in the boardroom, they're listed out and they're also written all around home court area where the bulk of our team sits and works. And so we have the, I got a core value award and it's a, if you can picture, it's like a 12 inch trophy, big brass apple core. It's like (laughs) this half eaten apple to stand for core values. And on the base of the trophy, the six core values are written on the base And once a month, we do the core value award. So again, it's at the end of huddle. Every So at the end of every month, we award the core value winner for that prior month. And the way the award is given, it's uh, there's a quick survey that our office manager sends out. 
and you nominate one person and you give a reason, the value that you're nominating them for and why, and the person who gets the most nominations wins the trophy and then the trophy sits on their desk for the month. And that was such a popular, fun, people love getting a little bit of recognition for work that they're doing that's amazing, but then they also, people want to give. People want to shout out to their teammates and that feels good to do that. And so that was so well received that, and I didn't want it to just be once a month. So we also have our, on our Slack channel, we have a channel, it's just called our shout out channel. And there are probably two, three, four shout outs a day that happen. It's just like, Hey, just want to shout out Mike. Cause he got this great feedback, blah, blah, blah. Like, or there's just, everybody shouts at everybody for great stuff happening all the time. So it's just a really positive way to shine a light of positivity. I love that. I love it. We started many years ago. It was the best email chain ever. So it was only positive shout outs. Now we put it into our base camp, but yeah, it's so fun. And I love this. All right. We got to get into rapid fire games because there's so much (laughs) I could go with this, Christy, but we're going to go into a game now because you know, that's what we're all about here in this whole playful nature here. All right. Game is truth and dare. Which one would you like first? Ooh, truth and dare. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Let's go with dare. All right, dare. This is a game that we do at our ballpark. It is uh, called Sing in the Blank. We have 2,000 fans versus 2,000 fans. We play a song. When the song finishes, you have to finish that song lyric. All right, Christy, (laughs) you now are, believe me, I've had some crazy people try to attempt to sing. I'm trusting you here to nail this one. It fits with the theme of games, what you're playing. I think you'll know it. Are you mentally prepared? I'm going to do my best. All right, here we go. When it stops, finish those song lyrics. I can't hear. We are the champions, my friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you nailed it. All right. I'm so if you didn't get that one, Christy, I would have challenged this whole sporting theme that you're doing right there. <laughs> you nailed it. So I think that was perfect. So you won the dare. You've won the game so far. Now, you ready for the truth? Yeah. All right. What is one thing that you've tried with all these culture ideas that you had great hopes for, but just didn't work out as well? Or something that you tried with your office that maybe hasn't gone as well as you hope? That one's actually, I'd probably say the guru of gratitude. We had a goal last year to get 2,000 notes sent, and we fell short of it. I look at it as a really easy thing to do, but I think it's intimidating for some people. I realized I sat down with one of my teammates, and I was like, I'm curious why you haven't written any thank you notes. And it's so easy. And he said, oh, I just, I'm not a very good writer, and I don't know what to write. And I said, I need you to watch me write a thank you note. And I said, time this. And he timed me, and it took 45 seconds, and I wrote four sentences. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. And he, he kind of went, oh, wow. Yeah, that is pretty easy. I'm like, yeah, you could, do, you could do 10 of these in 10 minutes and be done a fifth of the quota for the year. I mean, it's not, there isn't actually an official quota, but we'd love it if everyone did one a week. And he kind of was like, wow. And then he sat down and did a whole bunch, which was great. But I don't think everyone is buying into that the way I would love. I think it could be super powerful. And yes. hearing you and some of your team are doing one a day, I love that. And that's one I would love to see. I think we can step up our games there. I think it's an opportunity that we can do better. That's cool. What I've seen is some of our team, they set an alarm at like three o'clock. And so then they'll do a video at three. They have something that sets an alarm that they can do with their members. It's helped them, which is cool. All right, next game. Flip the script. You are now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. Um, 
Oh, geez, you're thinking about it. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the number one tip you would provide to me to help me get my team, my part-time team more engaged with, with our members on a weekly basis to make a positive impact for our members' experience? So we're going through the exact same thing right now. So we've, that's been a challenge for us. Um, our fans first director has taken that on as her big challenge for this year. And so one thing we're doing, we're very, very intentional in the beginning. So our whole, how we bring them in, we're spending time to actually show them the show. We're going to actually have them experience what it is like to get the service because you don't know how to deliver it. So we've done this before. We brought them into our ballpark and instead they thought they were going to get training, but we fed them food and we put on a show for them. And that was their whole experience. We wanted them to know what a fan's first experience was like. So for you, I don't know if that's like, hey, you're going to be a part of it. Your full-time staff actually is the one that puts on the event and they get to play. You know, some way for them to get to experience what it looks like. And then we're going into, we're going to do pep rallies before every game. So instead of uh, just a huddle, we're doing a pep rally. And we did this last year a little bit. We put it in front of our whole sta- our fans as we're opening the gates. So as our fans are getting ready to open the gates, we're highlighting our people. So they're getting recognized in front of our fans, which again, builds that recognition circle. So our fans will come to us. So-and-so was so great for me. She was amazing. So if there's ways to recognize in front of your actual team's athletes, then they will come back and do more recognition into that dual cycle. So yeah, I like that. It's the beginning for us. And then now as we go on through, how can we continue that recognition to the end of the summer? And I love what you called, what was it, the combine that you have? Or the, yeah. By the way, your language is amazing. And that would be a whole other conversation, a whole talk <laughs> with you about interjecting your own language. The combine and season family, is that what you do? You, you bring everyone together and just talk about stories? Is that the beginning before or after? The combine is our once a year. We just came up with that name because it's the first time we've ever done it. The combine being that sports terminology, but it's also it's a combine because we did work during the day as well as play. We did some games and it was a combine because it was a combination of our full time and our part time. So the name combine worked really well. And so that was the first ever combine. In the past, we've done full time team offsites, but this was bringing our part time team in, which was really powerful. And we want to do a lot more of that. So that'll be a once a year event. Our season finals is something that we do three times a year because our spring and summer, we kind of call that one season. So it's three, four month seasons. We have the winter four months, our spring, summer four months and our fall four months. And at the end of every four month period, we do a look back on what did we accomplish and look ahead to what we're planning for the next four months. And so that's called season finals. It's typically a one hour meeting. It's an all hands meeting. So anyone who's not in Toronto calls in for it. It's a video meeting. That's just the season finals. I love it. So such intentionality, which I think you're, yeah. the intentionality, that's a difference. All right, we're going to keep going rapid fire. All right. All right. If you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. What are some of the best questions you're asking right now? Some of the best questions we're asking? Well, I think the, we implemented NPS, an NPS tool, which has been very powerful. So as opposed to just doing a survey once a season, we're now getting our NPS scores daily. And so we keep daily track of our NPS, which has been super, super powerful. And we can see the NPS score in different markets. So we can see where, how's Sudbury doing relative to Toronto, relative to Hamilton, relative to Michigan. So that's been incredibly powerful. Further, we are starting to try and get more stories. And so we're asking our members, why do you play? Tell us why you play. People play for all different reasons because they want to meet that special someone. It's because they want to stay connected to their university roommates. It's because they want to play because they don't want to give up soccer that they've played their whole life. They want to just keep playing soccer. Whatever the reason, there's tons of them and it's fun to share those stories. So I love hearing why members play. I love it. That's great. All right. Stay in the rapid fire. This is a tough one. Team or family? 
debatable. Team or family? Because you talked in the beginning about family coming together, having lunches. And then oh, you- at business? Yes. In the business? Oh, this is a no-brainer for me. It's team. And that's because in a family, you get unconditional love. And on our team, I'm very clear about this. Although our lunch is like having a family dinner, it, you're on a team here. You still have to perform to stay on this team. You don't get unconditional love. But love. there's a lot of support on our team, and there's a lot of coaching. I love it. Perfect. Team. All right, we'll do a final four here. Rock and roll. What's one thing that you've done to stand out in business or in life? One thing I've done, I mean, I think I'm just a never give up kind of girl. Like I just keep, I'm determined. Hmm, I love it. All right. You got someone young joining your team, you know, maybe they're right out of school and you want to say, Hey, this is something you would tell them to be able to stand out and make a difference. What would you tell them? Somebody young joining my team, how can they stand out to make a difference? I tell everyone, take initiative, make yourself shine, do all these little things, write a whole bunch of thank you notes, like make yourself stand out and ask a lot of questions and bring us your ideas. I want idea people who aren't afraid to try and implement things. Idea people, everything. I love it. I know you're a lifelong learner. You've read numerous books. You're learning constantly. But what's some of the best advice that you've received? Oh my goodness, these are hard. Uh, I'd probably measure what you manage. You can't manage what you can't measure, Mm. that idea. So we've really started to, as we've wanted to scale the company the last few years, we're really working on focusing on the important things to measure. And I don't think we have it quite figured out yet, but we're getting a lot better. Well, now going into NPS and going to these other metrics is so smart. Yeah. All right. Finally, Christy, I loved all of this, but I want to know how do you want to be remembered? I would love to be remembered as someone who loves to laugh and a community builder who likes to bring people together for fun. And because outside of Sport and Social Club, I mean, I've started other communities like my musical theater community that's now morphed into three musical theater troops that we've been doing musical theater together for 10, 11 years. We raise money for charity. I like bringing people together a book club that I've organized. I like bringing people together to just gather for social, fun, human connection. And so being a connector of people and being someone who loves to laugh. Oh, well, amazing. Well, you were doing it. And you can tell why I am so like attracted to what you are doing because same theme, same language, bringing people together, having fun. And uh, I think a lot of people can learn so much from you, Christy. I've learned, I've been taking notes this whole time. Where could people learn more about what you're doing in sport and social, but just more about kind of how you're building this amazing culture and experience? Where could they learn more about that? I don't know, actually. I mean, I, it's not necessarily like because my, I've been focusing so much on growing the organization, I haven't necessarily focused on Sharing, teaching it. How we're doing. Yeah. I'm hoping that will maybe be my third chapter. When I'm done with sport and social group down the road, I'd love to do more mentoring and coaching or that kind of thing down the road. You know, I do want to say, Jesse, too. I hope you know that the admiration is very mutual. I was so enthralled when I first met you and heard all the stories about how you've turned things around with the Savannah Bananas. I've told so many of your amazing stories to so many people. And my dad actually is in Florida for the winter. And I was like, Dad, you've got to get to Savannah and get to a game. And so he's a huge baseball lover. So I'm hoping he's going to get there. And I want to get there myself. I told you that. I'm hoping this spring I'll be able to get down and check out your stuff in action because I'm so impressed with the way you're running your organization. It's amazing. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. I know this is going to be a very valuable episode for many people. So thanks a lot, Christy. Thanks, Jesse. Take care. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.